This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness. Personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. Small mention for Charlie Daniels because he started. Yeah, that's pretty good. And he can only make four more appearances for me. <laughs> he can only make, he can only make two for me. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Game Time. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Another week of a Premier League review and then a little bit of a preview to this weekend as well. We've got our new feature, which still doesn't have a name, or maybe it does. We'll find out in the second part of the show. Tim and Ryan on this one. Tim, how you doing? Hello, I'm good. I'm glad you're good. Ryan, how you doing? Buenos dias. How are you? Oi, muy bien. Gracias. A Spanishy mood. Uh, we're we're going to not talk about Spanish football, though Adaris did score a bloody tasty overhead kick oh, so in Barcelona. Good. So I lied. We did talk about Spanish football. <laughs> yeah, that's for... the first broken promise of the week. <laughs> Just like last week's Super Cup bonanza, <laughs> where we mentioned it four times, despite <laughs> the fact we chose to say that we weren't going to mention it. Um, this week, though, we will be talking Premier League, and I'm going to kick it off with with something a little different. Spurs City played, but I'm going to leave that till till maybe last or second. I want to start us off Leicester versus Chelsea. Now, Tim, obviously you're you're a Chelsea fan, so you can you can take the lead on this one a little bit. I asked Tom last week if Lampard needed to get a result out of this. You got a point at home. What were your thoughts on it? Because from watching the first half, a point probably wasn't fair on Chelsea, but from watching the second half, it probably wasn't fair on Leicester. Yeah, I mean. The first 15 minutes were really, really good. Like, we pressed high. There was loads of energy. Um, we should have scored four. Uh, but, and Giroud should have had three assists. But he, the finishing wasn't quite there. And a really good uh, tackle from one of their defenders to stop Kante scoring. Um, but then, sort of after, yeah, second half, we had no energy. We were sort of very disorganised. As soon as Jorginho went off as well, there was no structure. Uh, and Leicester absolutely dominated. Madison is just oh, he's such an intelligent footballer because he just sat himself just between the centre-back, the right-back and the, the um, right wing. And just in a little pocket where no one, you know, like the, the midfielder didn't want to track back and the centre-back didn't want to come out. And the right-back was marking the right winger or the left winger. And he sat there and got the ball and just drove through. And they, they should have they should have won in the second half easily because... He messed up one pass to Vardy, which um, would have been a goal. And then he had a, another good opportunity as well, which he put over the bar. So um, you, you kind of both teams definitely deserved a result on the different performances. But um, as cliche as it is, it really was a game of two halves. Yes, it, it really was. I'm sure Ryan will, will chip in a lot on the, on the Leicester front as well. One thing from, from that first half, though, Chelsea came out of the blocks really, really fast. And you can kind of see where that pressing game that Lampard wants to put in with the Mason Mount goal. Yeah, I was a bit shocked because um, I was just sort of, oh, OK, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden it was Mason Mount sort of running into the box, almost falling over and then putting it past Michael. So um, it's definitely good. I mean, Lampard sort of employed a, a 4-1-4-1 sort of formation. Um, so he had Kante and Mount as the centre mids who pressed so well. Um, and they both got so much energy and were just really quick off the blocks, which, you know, 
really caught Leicester by surprise. And I think that's a really good way to play against a lot of teams is um, press fast and hard, especially at the start of the game. Um, but then he did say that they sort of, we held on to possession or we didn't hold on to possession very well at all. And when we had the ball, so in that time we sort of needed to rest. Uh, we just gave it away a lot, which is one of the issues. But it was a sort of weird system because you've got a lot of pressing in midfield, you know, four very quick guys in Mount, Kante, Pulisic and Pedro pressing. And then you've got Giroud who played really well and held the ball up really well and should have assisted Pedro for what would have been an incredible goal. But he is also incredibly slow and it doesn't make a lot of sense if you've got Giroud trying to press with four guys behind him that, or Giroud not pressing with four guys behind him that are trying to press um, when you could have sort of Abraham or Batshuayi who are a bit quicker and maybe performing like a full press as opposed to just sort of two or three of them going at once. It was a bit odd and it was a bit of a mixed system, but um, you know, Lampard's still trying to develop his team and find out what works and what doesn't. But um, I think he's right. I think we just needed to hold on to the ball a bit better and, and take our chances at the start of the game. Batshuayi might come into the team. He scored a brace against Liverpool for the under-23, so that um, that might change Lampard's thinking a little bit to see who starts. Uh, Ryan, on the Leicester front, was Wilfred and Didi's performance the perfect depiction of Katy Perry's song Hot and Cold? <laughs> you, you love those <laughs> mid-2000s pop song references. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, I think in terms of Leicester, from what I've seen when I've spoken to people or sort of Leicester supporting friends I've got, the first thing I started off with was with all of them was, um, well, you let them off the up really, didn't you? Because the way that they played in the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, Leicester could have easily sort of stolen um, the win, really. And from what I saw, I think going back to what Tim said about Leicester, uh, sorry, Chelsea sort of pressing from the front, I felt like that knackered Chelsea out towards mm-hmm. the last 20 minutes, which then led to the sort of like the five-a-side atmosphere of the last 15, 20 minutes of the game, which was very enjoyable from like a neutral point of view. As soon as indeed he scored, it was sort of like, the best thing that could happen for the game, really, which was very positive. Mm. Um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of Leicester midfield, I felt like they lost the midfield battle in the first half, like you said. So, indeed, he first half, not his own fault, to be honest, because obviously he's not playing there on his own. But then you've got um, Madison, obviously, like I say, he became more of a, a sort of like an impact player at the sort of after the second, uh, second half started. And I thought afterwards, I think Chelsea were lucky to get a point. But then, obviously... You forget how good they played in the first half. But yeah, I thought indeed he played well. Obviously, he did well to get the goal. Bit of poor marking, I thought, though, for the corner. Mm. Personally, like I think they could have maybe done better. He did he just get a run in on um on the on the Chelsea defenders. But yeah, I thought Leicester were very good value for the point. And I'd like to point out that even though that wasn't on the predictions game, um I did call that as a draw at the start of the week. So I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy I got at least one right, even though it didn't get me any points. But yeah, yeah, I thought they were very, very good value for it anyway. And I thought it was a very good game to watch um, from the sort of the neutral perspective anyway. What were your thoughts on um, in terms of the sort of like Lampard setting in? Do you think he's actually sort of going in the right direction or do you think he maybe needs to tone it down a bit, Danny? I think I said this last week, didn't I, when I said, he probably is going to need to find a little bit of a balance between bringing all the youth in and, and keeping some experience. And he kind of did that today. He kept Mason Mount in midfield, but opted to go for, I say today, I watched it today, but it didn't happen today. It happened on Sunday. Um, yeah, he opted to go for Giroud up front, which I think probably offers them a little bit more in terms of just general Premier League experience. You saw in like the opening 45 seconds, he, he chested one down to Pedro, volleyed wide, and then he was just being a nuisance. That lovely little flick into Kante as well to to set him away in the box. And I think that's probably going to be more style that will get Chelsea points. Because I, I love the way that Lampard is trying to 
implement a pressing game, although you sacked an Italian manager for like the second season in a row, so I'm not happy about that. But yeah, they looked really good, but I think you hit the nail on the head, right? They looked bloody shattered. I thought Leicester looked really good value for their money. A Jose Perez is playing right wing, and that's bad for my fantasy team because I thought he was going to go straight in up top. But one player that I did want to mention, um, and I will horribly butcher his name, but it's um, Sionchu, the, the centre-back. Obviously, Leicester sold Harry Maguire for a record fee for a, for a defender to Manchester United. He looked really solid. Like there, there were a couple of times in that match where he was put under under some pressure, but he looked like he he dealt with it very well. Obviously, it's still early doors. You can't really tell if he if he's going to be a great player. But some of the defensive blocks, just the positioning of him was was quite decent. It shows you don't always maybe have to spend a stupid amount of money and bring in Lewis Dunk for fifty million when you can <laughs> just bring in the man that you bought last season and didn't really play too much. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see there's a lot. I've, I've said before, I'm, I'm full of praise for Leicester's recruitment policy. I feel like they do hit the nail on the head more often than not. For every, like, Slomani, you get, like, a, a Kante, for example. Um, yeah, so I do think, like I said, there was a bit of a long-term thinking in um, in that sort of department when they bought um, Soyuncu last year. Um, the problem is, obviously, like I say, they sort of had the, the sort of like the established centre-backs of Hooth and Morgan. And then obviously it was very difficult to replace him. And obviously getting Maguire in was part of that. But they've still got, like I say, the, the idea of potentially bringing back Wes Morgan if one of Evans or so on starts playing badly, which is obviously that's the next step. And they need to find someone to probably long-term replace Morgan. But yeah, I thought he's been, he's been very good to start the season. Um, I, want, I can't imagine there'd be much pressure on him in terms of, like I say, because he was relatively unknown, like he played in Germany, so I'd, I'd heard of him beforehand. He looked okay, he looked very solid. Um, one thing I would just want to bring up as well, you said a minute ago about bringing in this pressing style. I think the more and more I see of uh, Chelsea under Lampard is they remind me of Tottenham under Pochettino about five years ago in terms of they have the, the young players that maybe want to go with Lampard and do what he wants to do, which is like the high press and stuff. And there's been talk of, Today, Zappa Costa going on loan to Roma, and then that will obviously mean that Rhys James, who was in the championship last year at Wigan, will get more of a, a prominent role, maybe as a backup right back to Aspilicueta, or maybe even first choice if Aspilicueta probably goes straight in. To be honest, yeah, yeah, I'm going to say like you said the other day, if he continues to be old, then he might <laughs> yeah. just go straight in. Um, yeah, and they do remind me they still have a couple of like Adebayors on the books. That was the, the thing with Pochettino when he took over Tottenham. He still had the players from the sort of like the VS Boas era and the Redknapp era, and they had to basically get rid of those to bring in like people like Ryan Mason and Andros Townsend at the beginning and like Harry Kane and stuff who were going to buy into his philosophy. I feel like Lampard's got to be a bit more ruthless with that. I know they've got the transfer ban; it's a little bit different, but he does need to get maybe those people that aren't going to pull their weight. He needs to get rid of them pretty sharpish. Otherwise, it could undermine the whole project. And that was there was a period when Pochettino first took over and that could have happened at Spurs. But luckily, he sort of got his own way and got rid of all the deadwood and then obviously brought his own players in. And that, that could be the scenario that we look at in Chelsea for the next two, three years, maybe getting rid of the big earners and bringing in players you've not heard of before. But at least they will implement what the manager wants. I mean, he's not far off, to be honest. Like, the only reason William stayed was, yeah, because there's a transfer ban, we couldn't bring anyone else in, and we haven't got any sort of replacements for that. But, like, Zappacosta's going, Drinkwater's gone on loan, Bakayoko's going to go somewhere, probably back to Monaco. But, like, a lot of the, the guys that earn a lot of money and uh, sort of are, you know, sort of deadweight have been sort of shipped off this, this season, if only just on loan, meaning that the young players can get their minutes in, and uh, it's a much, probably a much better sort of 
not much about atmosphere, but um, this sort of everyone's on the sort of same page. The only guy that I can generally see that is completely different to that was William, and I only saw him for 20 minutes uh, at the weekend, and he was just abysmal. Yeah, uh, a very. I thought it was a really good game, and and a very well-rounded game to see uh, where both sides are, obviously still early in the season. Speaking of another game that was less well-rounded, but does show you exactly where teams are at this point in the season, Norwich versus Newcastle. I said last week that the style of football that Norwich play, when they come up against worst teams in the league, they will rip them apart. And that's exactly what they did against Newcastle. Team Pukki, bloody at-trick. Got him straight in the fantasy team. I'm just re- completely regretting putting Joel Linton in instead of him. <laughs> I think I think you now need to refer to him as three Mupuki. Oh. oh piss off. <laughs> and also guess who has got him in their fantasy team and he's been in there since day one as well. Oh, I hate you so I put him in and then I took him out for Che Adams because I looked at Norwich's first <laughs> I looked at Norwich's first three games and I thought they play Liverpool away at the first game of the season and then they go Newcastle then after that, they've got um, Chelsea, and I thought he's not going to score in those ones. I was wrong. <laughs> the the thing with like going off on a bit of a fantasy football tangent, the thing with Pookie is he's basically their only source of goals. You've yeah. got very untried options on the bench. You've got um, Josip Dermic, who was brought in from uh, the Bundesliga again, sort of like was never prolific in Germany, so not really going to be prolific. Might be another Van Bolswinkel. Um Ricky. So yeah, yeah, it's um it's it's pooky or nothing really for Norwich, which is played plays into the hands of like say fantasy football people. But um yeah, I thought um Norwich, like we, we talked about this briefly before, that yes, they might get a few pastings if they play like that at Anfield or the Etihad, but when they play at home to Burnley, it will put them in good hands. And you can just see like they've just got a lot more confidence. I, I think football, I've said before, it's a lot on confidence. It's a as with most sports, like cricket, you could probably say the same thing as well. Um, you have sort of spells when you're going through good um, bits of form and you play naturally better because of it. And you can just see you've got a team devoid of confidence in Newcastle, even though they didn't have a big defeat on the opening day. I thought they played OK in parts there. But then you've got a team that's just full of confidence and Daniel Farker's basically saying, well, you can make the odd mistake, but as long as the ones that you do, the moves that you put together going forward are positive, then we will come out on top in most games which is a really good attitude to sort of see um, in the, sort of from a newly promoted team rather than coming up and just putting 10 men behind the ball and just hoping for the best, which is obviously not really what you want to see. So, mm-hmm. yeah, how serious do you think it is for Newcastle at the minute? Oh, it's, it's dire, to be honest. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I was one of the people at the beginning, and you can see this in the prediction episode if, if you have a look back. I was one of the people that got baited hook, line and sinker when they bought in Joel Leturn and they bought in Alan Sam Maxin and, and all that for, for big money signings and thought, you know what, maybe it might be a bit different. But then I forgot that Steve Bruce is still the one that's leading those players out of the tunnel. Um, and and I think it it looks it looks bad. They look like good players individually, but you've you got to play like a team at the end of the day. Well, I, think, I think they might just survive because... Almiron and Joel Linton do look really good as a, a pair up front. Almiron's really quick and Joel Linton, he, I think he needs a bit of sort of a warm up in the Premier League, but I think he can score goals and he can do a bit of a job and I think they work really well together. Um, Shelby looked all right as well when he came on uh, in that match, but I, uh, I just not, I'm not convinced by the rest of the team, but I think those two might just save them. Um, 
and getting sort of important scrappy goals uh, because Almiron is really quick and John Linton can just sort of boss people about. Um, and, you know, it might have been a bit different if he'd scored that header that he put a tiny bit wide when he absolutely should have scored. But um, no, I, th- I think they will be all right, but it, it doesn't look good for them. Um, you will be finding it hard to get any negative comments from me about Newcastle, mainly because we play them next weekend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I do think they they are yet to find a sort of a system that seems to work. And I know they've got new players coming in, but yeah, I, I do get what you mean in terms of maybe teams that you should be worried about. I'm personally worried about Palace. I think that they looked very devoid of options and ideas when they lost to Sheffield United on Sunday. I think Newcastle are another team that you potentially would be looking at to have in a long season. Um, that's not necessarily means they're going to get relegated, although I'd like to go back to the predictions. I did have them to get relegated, but it's more of a case of just like the season's not going to be enjoyable. Mm. I think that's a fair comment. Um, like I say, they will, they might find it, or I think they do find it almost easy to play against these bigger teams, especially against Rafa Benito, under Rafa Benitez. They seem to almost like thrive playing bigger teams at St. James's Park because they knew that they could just sit there on the ball and um, let the other team have the ball and then just obviously hit them with set pieces and maybe get um, sort of goals on the break because obviously they beat famously beat uh, Man City at St. James's last year. Um, they had good results against Arsenal and Man United the year before at St. James's. So yeah, maybe that might be their forte and we might see a response on Sunday against Tottenham. But yeah, at the minute, it's not looking great. Like I say, they just don't seem to be... I know they've got good players. They've got individual quality. But as you said, if they don't play like a team, then it's pointless having them there. They may as well just be running around in the field for uh, the whole week. If they're not working on different things in training and trying to get a cohesive unit going, then it's not going to be a very positive campaign for them. No, not indeed. Uh, before we move on from this one, I did just want to... Norwich won this game quite comfortably. Um, Wendia... He's a tasty little footballer. He he knows exactly where to pick a pass. Yeah, also pretend, like loves a red card as well. He got red carded a couple of times last year in, in very big games as well. So <laughs> hopefully that's a trend that doesn't happen, <laughs> uh, doesn't continue in the Premiership. Um, yeah, he is, like I say, he feeds, um, he feeds Pookie. He's also my fantasy team as well. So there's another top tip for you there because... There's going to be any assists. It'll be Buendia, as you saw on opening day when he played it through to Puki. Um, he's a sort of creative lifeblood. He he took over from um, Pritchard when Pritchard went to Norwich, uh, went to, from Norwich, sorry, to Huddersfield um, when they were in the Premiership. So yeah, yeah, very very tidy player. Um, but yeah, like I say, the win backs as well with Norwich. Um, they have a real sort of say in the performance if they're not up for the game and they're not sort of bombing forward then Norwich can sort of quite quickly sometimes run out of ideas but yeah very positive that he started the season well positive that Pookie started the season well and hopefully Norwich will prove me wrong when I said last year that they might struggle because Pookie's not that tall <laughs> but it doesn't really matter when you're playing with wing backs and you're playing nice passing football and I'm, I'm really personally from from watching them a lot last year in the championship I personally am very happy that Farker hasn't sort of um, abandoned his principle, so to speak. I yeah. never thought he would do, but there was something in the back of my mind thinking they're just going to sign Grant Holt again. <laughs> Get him in the team. Uh, Ryan, you're, you're a host's dream because you gave me so many perfect lines to, to just move us straight into what I was going to talk about next. You talked about wing backs. That was on my checklist. You talked about not abandoning your principles. Let's talk about Sheffield United. <laughs> Yes. Love the way they play football. <laughs> their wing backs are centre backs. Their centre backs are wing backs. They just play all over the pitch. They're bloody lovely to watch. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this is again. We were talking about this off recording earlier about when I went to see them a couple of years ago when they played um, Reading. It's again, it's sort of something I wasn't expecting to see massively in the um, sort of like the top division because obviously some teams might get wise to it pretty early on. But it's a very unique system because you have Basham and O'Donnell running past the uh, full backs who then tuck in, and then you've got the midfielders who then drop back into the centre back position. So it does require its own diagram, but oh, it really does. It's yeah, it's incredibly effective, and obviously that's where they got the goal from. I don't know if you watched caught any of Match of the Day too, and obviously I know you said you watched the Sheffield United game earlier, but um, yeah, the, the space that is left and vacated by the sort of like the centre backs, and then obviously Freeman gets in, and then it eventually comes to John Lundstrom, and it's yeah, it's like I say, it will cause problems for pretty much any team this year playing at Bramall Lane. So it'll be very interesting to see how teams sort of cope with it because it is a system. I've never seen anything like this. And like I say, I don't watch much sort of foreign football, but I've definitely never seen it in England before. Um, But it's not something that Chris Wilder is sort of renowned for. It's only really when he's been in the job at Bramwell Lane that he's actually done this. He's not not sort of done it at Northampton. He didn't do it at Oxford, didn't do it um, at Halifax. So... Yeah, it's it's just it's just fantastic. Um, what what are your main takes on the um, on the system, Danny? What's your favourite thing? Is it the centre backs, the wing backs, or is it all of the above? Oh, mate, it, it's a heat map analyst's wet dream seeing a, a right wing back having the same heat map, if not less attacking than the right centre back in a back three. There was a point in that game where Chris Basham brings the ball up um, and, and he and he knocks it off. To um, I think McGoldrick had dropped into sort of the right wing back position, and and you think the centre back's just going to drop off here, and he's he's going to go back, and he bloody makes a run into the box as if he's a forward. <laughs> he ends up as the furthest player forward, and if the ball gets knocked down to him, he's there in front of goal one on one, and it's the same on the other side with um, O'Connell and Ender Stevens. It's so fun to watch, and I'll be honest, Palace did not cope with it at all, and I thought Palace looked really devoid of ideas and, and Sheffield United were unlucky not to to have a couple because I think McGoldrick absolutely spooned one straight into um, the pass keeper's hands from like three yards away and and they looked they just looked solid throughout and I, I look forward to to playing with the first touch by Luke Freeman um, to set up I'm saying set up in air quotes you can't see it because it's a podcast uh, his first touch off that left wing to cut inside and then just hammer the ball across goal was was delightful but but while Sheffield United were delicious to watch, Palace looked poor. Tim, do you think they're going to struggle this season? Because although Zaha was back in the starting lineup, Benteke and him up front just don't look like they're going to do anything at the moment. Well, I think we said this a, a few weeks ago, is that they don't really have anyone else other than Zaha. And he's very on and off Zaha. Like, he, he can have the game where yeah, he, he absolutely bosses it. And it always seems to be against Chelsea where that happens. But then he goes to everyone else and he just sort of is a bit tame, like he sort of tries things. There's a video that came out in training, he, he enjoying various different skills around his own players, but he tries it in matches and doesn't really get anywhere with it. And then there's no creativity from elsewhere and there's no sort of structure in defence. And they, they, they really are going to struggle because they need some creativity from somewhere. And I don't think um, the enigma that is Roy Hodgson is really going to give them that, to be honest. Um, we did talk about Premier League sackings. Uh, this season, and I, I was it someone saying that saying no Premier League managers were going to get sacked this season. Yeah, Tom. that was Tom. Yeah, yeah. I think Roy Hodgson's probably one of the prime candidates for that uh, because they need some new energy up somewhere with the players they've got because um, currently it's not working for them. And the thing is as well that I, I don't know, Ryan, if you noticed this as well. Palace had a lot of the ball 
against Sheffield United. Mm. But the way in which Sheffield United play, they don't really let you have those balls in dangerous areas. Like you'll get the ball, and when when they're dropping back and they're sitting behind the ball, it acts like a, a three five two or five three two even essentially. But they're so quick to to try and get the ball back, and they work so hard that even though Palace did have a lot of the ball, didn't really do too much with it. And and Henderson made a couple of saves, but I think they were from all outside the box or or very weak efforts. Yeah. Also, shout out to Dean Henderson for having the most unnecessary baseball cap on. <laughs> like it was it was about ten degrees and like grey, and he was just persisting with it. I think he he must have a sponsored bet with I think it was Adidas or Nike or whoever's. Uh, hat, uh, baseball cap he had on because there's no need for it to be on mate you're playing Yorkshire <laughs> dodgy hair yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah there was a distinctive part of the, the Palace game at the end where they were sort of pushing to get an equaliser which never looked like coming Sheffield United could have walked off the pitch and they'd still be playing now they wouldn't have scored um, but um, there was a, a, a point where I don't know who lobbed it forward it was one of the midfielders lobbed it forward it might have been Milivojevic might have even been one of the defenders and it went straight out for a goal kick yeah. And it was at that point where like, I was watching it around my mum and dad's house and my dad just went, oh, fucking hell, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like one of those sort of scenarios where it's like you, you, you've got no ideas and about how to change this game for the better. Zaha was running at the wing backs, but then he was getting nowhere because he was getting doubled up on or sometimes trebled up on, which is a very good tactic. Um, to stop Zaha, so you might want to send that one to Lampard, Tim, if they chose to struggle every year. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's they just look very one-dimensional, and it's a team, we've said before, that it's not a young team, it's a team that have a lot of older players in, and that can come in handy in a relegation fight, but then, on the flip side of that, you've got a team which is usually headed in the goal charts by Luka Milivojevic, who, as you will know, takes all the penalties. Yeah. So that shows that immediately they're running out of ideas going forward because you've got a guy that's on set pieces who regularly gets in the sort of like the top goal scorer of the season unless Aha has a madness of a season and then goes and sort of gets 15, 20 goals. But yeah, it's it's very difficult to see them this early on um, sort of doing anything noteworthy this year and maybe just survive. But is that the that's just the aim at the minute, which is again not very inspiring. But that's the we talked about this before. That's the sort of the aim of a lot of teams in the Premiership, otherwise they just lose all the money. Yeah, and especially Palace with the fact that they didn't really strengthen their forward line. They did bring in Jordan Ayew, but he's not very like an out-and-out goal scorer. Um, and they yeah. sold Sorloth, who didn't have the greatest season. So they are going to struggle for goals, but a very good result for Sheffield United, who have got a home win, clean sheet. Can't really ask for much more. Than a week. I can't. I can't really see how they're unless they play a real top top quality team. I can't see when they're going to drop points. Same with Norwich, to be honest. I can't see where they're going to drop major points at home. And that's the that's the major that's the major part of keeping in or staying in the league is winning your home games. And like you say, like there's going to be teams probably a little bit better than Palace who are going to struggle. I think Leicester are going to struggle against them. I don't necessarily think Sheffield United might win. I reckon Sheffield United are good enough for a point, maybe. On a, on a good day, they might beat Leicester at Bramall Lane. But in the same with Norwich as well. They win the games that are very, very like winnable, like the, the sort of Newcastles at home. And then maybe they might lose to like Chelsea, Arsenal, whoever. That's all set them up really well for staying in the division. And mm. partly the reason why I sort of tipped Sheffield United to stay up. Hopefully, the, uh, the newly promoted teams do get it done. Aston Villa have looked pretty tasty as well but we're not talking about that before we go to a break we're going to talk about the Manchester City Spurs game I thought we'd uh, 
we'd save that one till last because I mean VAR controversy still rages on. But let's talk about the actual football. It was a it was a very nice game in in which City had a lot of the ball. To be fair, but but Tottenham did what they had to do and some questionable goalkeeping. Ryan, how did you see the game? Um, I saw it as probably the most one-sided game in terms of not in our favour we've had for a long, long time. Um, the fact we even got away with the point was nothing sort of like short of a robbery, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like to, to have sort of like three or four serious attempts on goal and score two of them. That's probably more of a comment on the way that Man City switched off for both of our goals rather than sort of like how well we were doing. Um yeah, obviously, again, one of them games where if you'd have said, oh, you can have a point before a game kicks off at Man City away, I'd have snapped your hand off for it, as mm. most teams will do, apart from maybe uh, Liverpool this year. Um, but it's, again, sort of showing this idea of, you said earlier about like um, Palace having a certain, certain amount of possession into the 60%. It does show this sort of like trend at the minute where, um, and sort of Solskjaer's sort of maybe picked upon this about that it's not about how much possession you have, it's what you actually do with it. And mm. uh, that's not mean to say that City were wasteful. I think they were wasteful with their chances, definitely, because they had sort of two or three clear chances apart from the two goals to to put the game to bed. They should have been like 4-1 up, really. Like there was, it, it did have an echo of the sort of like we've had a couple of thrashings at, Man City in recent times, and it did have an echo of that sort of about five, ten minutes in. I thought we did well to just hang in. That's all we were doing. I, I, I mentioned it last week, uh, the same with the Arsenal Burnley game. Break the game down into chunks, get to half time level. I know we didn't manage to do that in the end, but just get, keep yourself in the game, and then you can always nick something. And that might sound a bit negative, but at the end of the day, they've got a billion pounds worth of talent on their books. So whatever you class as negative, I'll class as we can't compete with that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah, very, very happy with the point um, and obviously very relieved at the end. But again, at the end, this shows how sort of my opinions on the game went, that when they scored in the last minute, I sort of shrugged my shoulder and said, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's unfortunate we've let one in, but I can't say that we didn't deserve, I can't say that we deserve to win sort of thing, mm. if you get my drift. Yeah. So yeah, very difficult to take at the end and then very pleased at the end. But um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's one of those games where, like I say, you're just happy to get out there with a little bit of take a point, move on, and then we'll sort of play someone else next week that we're hoping to beat, which is obviously, like I said, nearly in Newcastle. But yeah, very one-sided and very happy that we came out on the right side of a VAR call. Yes, against Man City again. You, you yeah, love that, those. I, I can't remember the last time we played it there and we didn't have something like that happen. <laughs> it's, a, it's becoming a little bit of a, a feature in those games. Uh, Man City with... Possibly the most FIFA-like stat sheet I've ever seen. 30 shots, 10 on target, two goals. Tottenham, two shots on target, two goals. Uh, Lucas Moura's first touch. And then Eric Lamella basically passing the ball into the net because Edison decided to stand on the wrong side of the goal. It was a bit of a weird one. Yeah, I would not. If I was a goalkeeper coach, I would not be recommending that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the thing. Like Going back to what we said earlier about like obviously both City's goals are very well worked and you can see their... Their, their system, which is get the ball into the box early, make defenders confused, and then obviously you've got people running in the back. Whether or not it's one of those triple tap crosses at the <laughs> post, or whether or not it's like a proper sort of like a whipped cross in, both goals come from that. And you think, yeah, fair enough. Like when City went one and up, it was like, yeah, all right, fair enough. Like annoying, but it's a bloody good goal. But then Eric Lamella gets the chance to run from the halfway line and put it in from 30 yards. That's just bad defending. Whether or not Man City do it, or whether or not 
a team down the park do it. That's a that's bad defending. Yeah. And like I say, if you're going to go and sort of win titles and look at winning the Champions League, which is their like sort of holy grail, you can't be doing that. <laughs> it's just yeah. ridiculous. And it's the same for the corner. Like Lucas Moura, not a big bloke, but he has got a good leap. Gets a free run. I know he's just come on. And I know that's dangerous, but put a man on him, for Christ's sake. Like, yeah. Guardiola, Guardiola would have been, and rightly so, would have been angry at the VAR thing because I think City should have had a penalty as well in the first half when Lamella got, um, I think it was Laporte round sort of the throat, and that was all very um, sort of ugly and, and not a very good way of tackling. But yeah. to concede two goals like that against a team that they know, like, we have good players. I know we're not in City's league, but that's just poor. It's just really, really bad. So, yeah, I can see why he was angry, not only at his own players, but also at VAR. Yeah, you mentioned VAR, and I didn't want it to take up the main point because I wanted to get down to the nitty-gritty football stuff. But, Tim, VAR decided yet another Manchester City-Spurs game. A good finish from Jesus at the end, but doesn't even matter. Was it the correct decision? Well, I mean, as we've also seen, the issue isn't with, VAR, it's with the handball law that has been introduced for the season that has never existed in football before, mm. um, and yet it's been brought in, and VAR just makes it clear so they can implement it. Um, the, the VAR they did nothing wrong. It, it's completely up to whether you think that um, if the ball comes off uh, Kevin Laporte's arm, even though it's completely accidental, whether that uh, should be handball or not. And I mean, I, th- I haven't seen a single footballer or ex-footballer say that it, you know, the goal shouldn't have stood because it's completely accidental. If that happens anywhere outside of the, you know, outside of the box, or if there wasn't a goal from it, it would be fine because, you know, this is not creating a goal. But on the flip side of it, if Laporte had scored with his arm and, you know, it wasn't he scored directly from his arm, then not many people, I think, would argue that it, it shouldn't have been a goal like because to be able to score from your hand is a bit weird so the fact that he assisted from it shouldn't really change anything i think there's there is actually a fair argument for both cases um but the issue isn't with var yeah it's it's the handball rule which is it's the wording of it it says that a player must gain control or gain possession with the use of an arm, and then if a player goes on to score. But technically, never gains possession or control. If they just change the word from player to team, then that handball rule makes sense, and that goal is fine to be disallowed, in my opinion. But because it says in the rules player, it, it makes it a little bit more ambiguous. One thing before, before we go to the break that I wanted to mention, this is the best thing I've read in a while. So this is the video assistant referee law as part of the laws. I'm just going to read... A little summary of it because I think this is amazing. Um, it says only authorized persons are permitted to enter the VOR, which is known as the video operating room, or communicate. Oh, you've nicked my talking point. <laughs> Have I only taken off? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to smash through it now. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, or communicate with the VAR, blah, 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 during the match. A player substitute or substitute player or team official who enters the room will be sent off which I thought is bloody skillful if they can get from wherever they're playing to Stockley Park every single yeah, time. The, ne- the, the nearest ground is 13 miles away to, to Stockley Park, meaning that they'd have to get like subbed off or remember the team would have to watch whatever the incident was, which isn't going to be at the very start of the game, and then get out of the ground, you know, get in a, 
a car that they probably didn't arrive at the ground in, drive all the way there, manage to get through security into the ground to then get red carded because they're very <laughs> rich. I, th- I think I think as a solution to this, teams should be allowed to name 19-man squads. <laughs> and then what, what happens is, um, I don't know if you can remember, about 10 years ago, you know when Rory Delap and Stoke were big with the throw-ins when they first came up? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Dean Windass for Hull became the first, <laughs> the first player to be booked in the Premiership by not actually being on the pitch. Because what he used to do was, whenever Stoke got a throw, <laughs> Phil Brown told him to go and warm up in front of Rory Delap to stop him <laughs> running in to do his throw-ins. And eventually the referee, he did this like four times, so the referee was like, right, you're getting a booking, whether you're on the pitch or not. My solution to that would be, pick a 19-man squad, one person, probably the third-choice goalie, is in a van outside Stockley Park. <laughs> as soon as anything, they get a call, they get a call, oh, we've been disallowed a penalty. They go in and just give the referee a load of shit. <laughs> uh, when I saw that rule, I thought... There is 100% one man who would definitely do that. Sergio Ramos, when he's on a, a booking that could potentially see him out of oh, a, yeah. <laughs> a fruitless tie, just him sprinting to the VAR room like, go on, send me off then. I don't need to play Leganess again. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he could do that. Also, if you do it with the third-choice goalie, then you've got people like Scott Carson for Man City actually putting a shift in. He's not, not, not going to play. It's funny. Yeah, exactly. oh, what I love is the fact that someone, some one of the officials or one of the lawmakers has gone like, oh, if I'm doing the VAR, I'm going to be a bit scared of one of the players coming over and intimidating me a bit. So I've actually got them to make a rule about entering the room so that they're safe yeah. when they're making their decisions. Someone's actually been that paranoid about it, that they've wanted this rule implemented so that no one can intimidate them uh, if they get a decision wrong. It's absolutely glorious. Right. There will be no intimidating in the second part of the pod when we go through our new feature of predictions. We'll be back in just a minute. Cool. Welcome back. Right. Ryan, have we thought of a name for this yet? Well, I was thinking, you know how it's called like Super Six on Sky and it's very similar? Yes. Um, I think maybe it's a name along those lines. But as you'll see, because of the games are very random and I would like to put the disclaimer right here now, I don't pick the games. <laughs> I get sent the I get sent the list on a Monday morning by the person who runs it from the local football team, and then I then pass the message on, which got a mixed reaction to say the most um, earlier when Tim was like, "Hang on, what? <laughs> we're, we're picking these teams, okay?" Um, so I was thinking maybe rather than Super Six, maybe Terrible Ten. I like that because there's ten games obviously, and there are there are some shitters. I'm going to be honest. Um, Fucking so, kill Marduk. Don't ruin it. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, so we'll um, we'll run through the game. So obviously, because Tom is not on with us today, he did the thing that Tim did last week. So Tim um, sent his um, sort of predictions through to me like privately. Tom's done the same, so we can run through Tom's as well. Um, we'll start off with, as I think most football shows are going to be starting off on Saturday, with Colchester against Northampton. Um, <laughs> cobblers. Cobblers. Yeah, Cobblers. Yeah, Cobblers. Derby. No, it's true. Um, yeah, so that'll be interesting. Um, although the, the derby element is at best sketchy. Um, so we'll, the, the only thing, they do appear on the same regional news programme, but it really is not. It's, it's so far away. Uh, it's all to play for. Yeah. Um, so Colchester, Northampton, I'll run through the um, 
ones I've already got. So obviously I've done mine and Tom's in here. So Tom's gone for two 0 Colchester. I've gone for one all because obviously I can't really. I don't want to actively discourage Northampton winning games, although they are <laughs> terrible. Um, so uh, Tim, let's start off with the big game for you then. I've gone with the huge nil nil. A nil nil draw. Yeah, to be honest, I think that's about right. New, North, Northampton have looked terrible this year. Um, and Colchester lost at home to Cambridge, who were equally terrible the other day. So, yeah, that could be a nil-nil. Uh, Danny? I've gone for a one-all draw as well. 21st versus 20th, so I've gone for a draw. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, the table, you can't speak much of the table recently, but I think both teams are going to have a bit bit of a shitty season. So that might be <laughs> probably not that shitty, but yeah, it could be, could be a bad one. So uh, moving up to the championship then, we've got... Four divisions in the English and then one in the Scottish. Um, so there's a mixed bag today. Derby against West Bromwich Albion. Danny, I'll let you go first on this one. I really like this game. I've gone for 2-2. I've gone for goals. Decent. I will echo that because I've gone for 2-2 as well. So 2-2, Derby, West Brom. Yeah, two teams that have started OK. Um, Derby got a 2-2 draw last week as well. So you're hoping that carries on for obvious reasons. Um, Tom has gone for a 2-1 win to Derby, which is interesting because West Brom haven't been defeated yet this year in the league. But Tim, what are you thinking? Well, Derby are currently losing 1-0 to Bristol, so I've gone 2-0 West Brom. Nice. So <laughs> you're being completely clouded by recency bias. <laughs> um, well, I mean, West Brom are third. Yeah, West Brom, they are a very good team, but they they played Luton mid- uh, at the uh, Saturday and they were 1-0 down for a fair bit and then um, the guy that was on loan from West Ham, uh, Dean Garner, yeah, came scored. Yeah, he came to score twice for him. So they are winning games without playing brilliantly in a minute. So that could be an interesting one. Uh, next one, going into League One for this, Doncaster against Lincoln. Now, Lincoln, one of the only teams in the Football League to have a 100% record as we speak because they're now playing at the minute. I don't know how they're getting on, but they won their first three games at least. The losing one to MK Dons. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, at, at the time of recording, um, they have won three games and they're currently losing one. So Doncaster Lincoln then. I've gone for a Doncaster win on this. I think they can't win every game, Lincoln, even though they're a decent team under Danny Cowley. I've gone for 2-1 Doncaster. Tom's gone for 2-0 Doncaster. Do you agree, Timothy? I don't think you're listening. They got the hometown Lincoln 3-0 win. 3-0 win, OK? So you've gone against me and Tom. Interesting. So you've gone Doncaster 0, Lincoln 3. Let me just write that down on my space age textbook. <laughs> um, Danny, what about you? Uh, yeah, I've been swayed by the early season table and gone 2-0 Lincoln. Yeah, they, they beat Rotherham 2-0 earlier in the year. It was, a part, from what I heard, a, a bit of a part of the bus sort of job and they scored two goals. But yeah, that, that could, I could I could see it happening, but I can't see them winning every game. But obviously, then again, they're fucking losing tonight, so uh, <laughs> they'll probably be bang up for it on Saturday. Um, Huddersfield Reading, so the second team this year to get rid of their manager, Huddersfield, um, against Reading, who have made a shitload of signings. <laughs> and yes. very good signings as well. So The technical um, term. Yes, yes, yeah, scientific. Um, <laughs> so how do you see this one going, Tom? Uh, Tom? He's not fucking here. Tom! Uh, <laughs> please... Um, Danny, how do you see it going? I'm really confused by this one because Reading looked really good and Puskas's two goals were great, but Huddersfield sat their manager, so they have to win the next game. That's but, how uh, it works. Yeah, that, uh, that is the science. I've gone 2-1 Reading <laughs> in good ways. Interesting, yeah. And obviously that's a team that's not a million miles away from yourself as well, so a bit, yes, of, a, 
Bit of a local, bit of a local one there. Um, just to fill in the gaps before Tim, you get your chance to. Tom's gone for a one-all draw, which I can see happening because obviously, like you say, Reading look good and Huddersfield are going to have a natural bit of a bounce and upturn in form because they've sat their boss. I've gone for a nil-nil draw, the only nil-nil I've predicted this week because I think both of them will cancel each other out. Tim, what are you thinking? Two-nil uh, Reading. No, Reading. Nice. Yeah, two-nil Reading. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I was looking at Aberdeen. I was like, hang on, something's not right. Uh, here. Yes, yeah, so yeah, there's a bit of a teaser. You've, you've, you've introduced both of the teams from the Scottish show. We're going I've north. Ru- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've ruined your inter- Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we're going north of the border then for the next one. So this is a semi-regular thing, usually just involving Celtic games, because that was the, the first week before we started doing this on the podcast. The Celtic-St. Johnston game was on um, the, this sort of pred- particular uh, prediction game. Everyone went for a Celtic win, but no one said 7-0, which was the actual score. So, <laughs> yeah, so this would be interesting. So, how's your Scottish football knowledge, Danny? Uh, zero to to less than zero. Okay, good. Um, Tim, how's your Scottish football knowledge? Piss poor. <laughs> yeah, I know fuck all about it. It's one of the only leagues I refuse to watch, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll happily watch like, a League 2 game, but I draw the line at Scotland. Um, so, just to fill the gaps in, I've gone for a 2-1 Aberdeen win, purely because they appear first in the alphabet. Um, <laughs> Tom has also gone for a 1-0 Aberdeen win. I think this is partly because they're usually considered the third best team in Scotland. Um, so, that potentially could be a reason why Aberdeen. Um, or second best team, looking at last year. Tim, what have you gone for? Uh, 4-0 Aberdeen. Excellent. <laughs> Also, just realised that I've given the five home teams so far to score no goals. Yes, that's true. You hate the home teams. Um, Danny, what have you gone for? Uh, I've gone for a conservative 1-0 Aberdeen win. So you've backed uh, Tom up with that one. Okay, interesting. So no one fancies Kilmarnock. To be fair, they got knocked out of the uh, Europa League by a team from Wales. So that tells you all you need to know, really. And Aberdeen lost lost like 5-0 on aggregate to a random team from Eastern Europe. So Yes, that's true. Yeah, so yeah, once again, Scotland, couple that with Celtic getting beat by a Romanian team in the Champions League. Leading the way. Yeah, Yeah. the leading light for the (laughs) British Um, Middlesbrough Millwall then this is an interesting game personally this is one of the ones I'm quite interested in Um, Millwall look quite solid at the minute and Middlesbrough without a win although they are 1-0 up at the minute I believe against Wigan but again we're doing this at the time of recording so that doesn't count Um, I've gone for a 2-0 win to Middlesbrough because I feel like Middlesbrough need to get off the mark soon and they've been playing quite well by all accounts but just not getting the results and Millwall seem to be okay but they sort of they sort of play quite direct football and it doesn't always pay off. So Tom's backed me up. He's gone for a three-one Middlesbrough win. Tim, have you gone with us or have you gone different? Yeah, it's exactly the same. One-nil uh, Middlesbrough. I think I'll be quite tight, but with Middlesbrough, do you need a win? Yeah, I was thinking I was thinking one-nil actually personally, but then I changed it to two just to think they might get one on the break. But yeah, I can see your logic there, Danny. I've gone for one-nil Millwall. They they stood firm with ten men against Sheffield Wednesday and. Sheffield Wednesday looked very good early season, so I think they're going to do the same. Yeah, yeah, I think Millwall, if they do score, they're one of those teams where they very rarely like let a goal in, even with, like you say, 10 men. Um, so, yeah, I can see that. But I think Middlesbrough, by the law of averages, they need to play well and win at least once, because apparently <laughs> Woodgate's got them playing quite good football. Uh, moving on then. So, we've got a game up in the north now. Preston against Sheffield Wednesday. Tim, I'll come to you first. Uh, lots of goals. Preston 2, Sheffield Wednesday 3. Oh, interesting. So that's going to be first on the EFL highlights, if that's to be believed. 
Hmm. Um, nice one. Uh, Danny, what have you gone for? 2-0 Sheffield Wednesday. Okay, cool. So, away win. I've personally gone for a 1-0 win to Preston because their home form is usually quite good. Tom has gone for a 2 all draw in that, so he's not similar to Tim. Um, back down to League One then. Rochdale v Blackpool. Again, Blackpool, one of those teams at the time of writing that have uh, got a 100% record in League One. So, very good start for them. Um, how do you see this one, Danny? Uh, I've gone with the 100% record at the time of recording and 2-1 victory to Blackpool. Nice. I've also gone for a, I've gone for a 2 0 win. Sorry. They're two, losing. Uh, are they losing again? For fuck's sake. <laughs> two two uh, one for Gillingham. Oh uh, well, uh, they, it means they'll bounce back on Saturday. It's fine. Um, Tom's gone for a one 0 away win as well for Blackpool. Tim, what about you? I love the way logic gets twisted in this, just to make sure that you've got confidence in your thing. Um, I've gone Blackpool three, Rochdale one. Okay, interesting. So we've all gone for a Blackpool win there. Nice. Um. Again, a game that could be very interesting, Stoke against Leeds. Me and Tom have gone for both um, fairly significant away wins. I've gone for 3-1 Leeds. Tom's gone 3-0. Danny, how do you see it? 3-1 Leeds. So you've backed me up on that one, yeah? I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with what Stoke are doing at the minute, but I think Leeds are just very, very good. Yes. Um, what about you, t- uh, Tim? 1-0 Leeds. So, we've all, again, we've all backed the away team. You really hate the home teams in this day. <laughs> okay. Six home teams to not score. Yeah. And only one team to actually win. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. So, and then moving on to a little-known division called the Premiership. Um, we thought we'd chuck one in there. So, we've gone for Watford against West Ham. The defunct Premiership. Yes, the uh, the non-existent as of 2004 Premiership. Um <laughs> So, uh, Watford against West Ham. So, both teams, again, looking to get their first win of the season. So, how do you see this one, uh, Tim? I was going to go 2 all, but I think Watford might just clinch it 2-1. Okay, so I will I just say think... that I'm agreeing with you there, because I've gone for 2 all Watford as well. Yeah. Danny? Uh, I've gone for 2-0 West Ham on the pure basis that Felipe Anderson and Haller make it back into the squad. If okay, so you're, you're pinning all of your hopes on two players. <laughs> yes. Always a good idea. Um, cool. So, at the end of that then, we've got obviously the points um, and the predictions all sorted, and we will obviously come back and have a look at that. Um, well, I, genuinely think, I genuinely think the only way I'm going to get any points on this season if we get to predict Berry and Bolton matches. <laughs> Postponed. Yeah, 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 just no results. Um, yeah, that could, yeah, that could potentially be a good one for for everyone there. Um, but yeah, very good. So we'll obviously pick up on this just as a bit of a housekeeping issue as well. As I turn the pad over for last week, um, at the minute we've got Tim lagging a little bit behind on three points, Danny in sort of second place on eight points, and then me and Tom on nine points after the first week. So need a bit of catch up. Bearing in mind there's 30 points on offer for every game. We, we're not really starting it very well. But, uh, 30 points every week, sorry. Yeah, 10%. We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully pick that up as we go on. I, I would like to also add that I did get 17 points on Super 6. So I'm not doing too badly overall, just on this game I'm doing shit. <laughs> on your own, in your own invention. Yeah. On my own thing. Um, remember, you can get involved. We post the predictions on Twitter every single week. We'll post them up later this evening when the podcast come out, or if you're listening to it the day after the podcast came out, we've already posted it. We're that good. Uh, you can 
post your predictions straight to the Twitter. We'll pin it or you can send it to gametimepodcast1 at gmail.com. Right. We've got a few minutes left of the pod. And as always, we've got talking points to round us off. Ryan, I know you had one this week. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah, this is one close to home for you, Danny. Um, so I watched the, 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 as you said earlier, about I don't watch the Scottish football. I watch, normally have a look at Match of the Day 2 most weeks. I watch the EFL highlights. Um, I also got really into the National League highlights recently. Come on, um, the boys! Yeah, as long as, as well as the um, the Bundesliga ones, of course, which was like a running joke from uni, um, which started again. I watched the first episode this morning. It was great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, getting back to the original point. So uh, Maidenhead obviously played against Chorley on Indeed. Saturday. Had a really good win, actually, uh, which was very, very good for them. One thing I did note is actually the second goal for Maidenhead that went in was a penalty. I don't know if you caught any of the highlights, Danny, or yes, you I saw did. any of the bits. Um, There's a really funny bit where on the on the Vanarama programme on BT Sport, the person, the striker, puts the penalty in, and then obviously someone comes in and, and sort of kicks the ball just to the side of the, of the, of the left-hand side of the goal. Um, and then it land, lands just in front of this fan, and the fan <laughs> picks the ball up and just puts it under his shirt. And it's like, how hard are the times over in Maidenhead that they're having to steal match balls? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was Jake Cassidy put the penalty away, and then that's it. Maidenhead yeah, Maidenhead actually posted back to uh, the National League and went, "Hey, don't cut the video short." And they post the full video, and the fan takes it out of his shirt and just launches it at the Maidenhead team huddle. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed that earlier because I thought I'd, I'd look. I looked on Maidenhead's YouTube to sort of like get whether or not he actually did steal the ball. And like you say, he does give it back in the end. He sort of punches it back volleyball yeah. style, which is quite disappointing because I do like the idea of him just nicking it and just going, right, well, I'm off then. I'll see you next week, boys. Just like he only only goes just to steal match balls and he doesn't do anything else. Like, he doesn't even support Maidenhead. He just has 48 match balls at home. He's just got different. Yeah, it's his career. <laughs> he's just got different shirts on he just takes the maidenhead one off right now to get another ball for Chorley we've got to even it up <laughs> yeah, yeah so that did make me laugh like I said it was unfortunately the, the magic of TV editing sort of duped me on that one. so unfortunate to see he didn't actually go full thief but yeah I thought that was quite funny yes it, it was good and maidenhead with a 4-1 win Danny Whitehall scoring two goals I interviewed him once he's a very nice chap he was over in America before he came here and he used to play for Liverpool Tim oh. There's Less boring points from me. Talking points, what's yours? Uh, only, well, seeing as you stole my Stockley Park one, um, <laughs> United, uh, the first team to name a full uh, British or Irish starting eleven uh, in consecutive Premier League games since April 2012. Uh, I don't actually know who the team were that they did since that, but uh, if you do know, please tweet me because I'm actually quite interested. Uh, but there's, yes, seven years there. <laughs> It's taken for a, a British Irish team uh, to be named in consecutive Premier League games. Uh, and the only other one I had is that um, we, we, all this VAR controversy uh, and stuff, it hits the screen. It's a stupid handball law. But why can't VAR be used to check people bloody pulling players' shirts in the box? Um, <laughs> the amount of penalties that would be given if the VAR just solely, at a corner, just solely looked at players grabbing shirts or giving people hugs uh, in the penalty box would be ridiculous because it's all the time the referee can't see everything and they don't even pull them up even when they do see things just bloody point var you've got cameras point at the penalty box and just watch people like grab the shit out of each other while someone's (laughs) running up to take a corner because you'd have about 15 penalties a game it's ridiculous and as soon as you pop var on them they'll stop and just sort that shit out because it's really annoying um that's my rant 
the day that comes, Luka Milojojevic will be the most expensive <laughs> player on FPL history. <laughs> the, the, the slightly damp squib I've got in, in return for that, um, Tim, is the problem is that obviously the way VAR is being used in the Premier League, I will call it the Premier League for VAR because obviously that wasn't available <laughs> in 2004. Um, <laughs> um, the problem is that it's not there to overrule the ref. It's, it's there to sort of like help them out. So they, they can't don't care. I know, I, don't I, know, care. I know. Point I know, at the penalty but... spot and just give penalties. Yeah, that is the that is the problem. It's it's not there to yeah. basically... They, they don't want refs to feel like they're being mugged up, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I see your point. Like I say, especially that Lamella one. It was, it was carnage. Um, also, going back to your British and Irish thing, I'm not sure about this. I want to guess that it's Norwich City. I'm just trying <laughs> to think back of 2011-12. So that would have been... Norwich would have been in the Premiership. And as this is his second shout-out now. That was like the prime-time Grant Holt era. And I can't remember <laughs> the like any foreign players they had in 2011-12. It was very much like Anthony Pilkington, sort of like players like that, Gary Hooper. They were all playing for Norwich. I don't know if they had any foreign players at that point. So I would will be willing to bet that it would be Norwich. But Ooh. I don't know. I'm going to have to go away and look at I'm Googling it now to try and find out. Uh, yeah. If you were to like give me one guess, I would say Norwich. Well, while you're Googling, I'll, uh, I'll give you my two talking points. The first one is, is very, very weird and very niche. Uh, my favourite footballer is Brian Ruiz. Uh, I have an unhealthy obsession with Brian Ruiz. I think he's a fantastic footballer. It was his birthday the other day. I posted the little hands emojis on his little thank you message, and he liked my tweet. So that is, oh, oh, my, that is my uh, life completed. Um, the, pro- the problem with that again, Danny, I'm, I'm pouring sort of cold water over everyone at the minute that <laughs> now you've said that he, on, in public you have an unhealthy obsession with him <laughs> he will no longer want to be your friend <laughs> he just takes the like back yeah this, this isn't for you daddy i'm sorry um so that was a that was a fine moment and uh my my last one is it, it's a monumental day today or at least i hope it's a monumental day uh according to proper football's twitter account uh, today is the 54th birthday of Ali Dia, the man who duped Southampton and Graham Souness into signing him, saying that he was George Weah's cousin, uh, when he was not. He was just a random guy that played for Blythe Smart- Spartan. Excellent. If you're stupid enough to sign someone because they're cousin, you sort of deserve that. It, the beautiful thing is, Graham Souness in an interview in this video, if you watch it, I pinned it to the uh, the Twitter account. He says like, oh yeah, uh, he uh, phoned us up and yeah, we're going to give him a go. We're going to see what he's like. For a week, he trained with them for a week and they still didn't realise that he wasn't bad and they put him in the game. He played for 43 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, um, yeah, he, he came on. That, that was again, something we talked about earlier about uh, the interview with Matt Letizia as well. He just said like, they couldn't believe how bad he was in training. <laughs> Yeah, like that just shows how far sort of football scouting's come in the last like 25, 30 years. Like you could get away with that in like 99. Imagine doing that now. Just turning up, they were like, oh, fuck off, mate. Yeah, I'm George Wayne. <laughs> hey, God, join the back yeah. of the line with the rest of them. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> right. Um, that is the end of the podcast. One quick. Wait, wait, wait. Ryan was correct. It was Norwich. Yes. There was five consecutive matches that Grant Holt wasn't playing. They had Carl Norton at right back. Oh, what? what a Tottenham man! They didn't have no Grant Holt up front. No. That's, well, he might they... have played in one of the games. It was uh, Steve Morrison. Oh, big Steve! What a lad! Big Steve. I can't believe he's still playing football now. 
I, is he at Millwall? Or is he, he, well, he was. I, I don't know if he's there anymore. He was there last season, but yeah. Big, what a lad. Yeah, I, I just had a feeling it was it was Norwich because I remember they had a very like British and Irish heavy um, heavy team at that point before they signed, as we said, Van Wolfswinkel and people like that. Ricky! Um, right, before we go, uh, one thing that, that we didn't mention, and I wanted to save it to the end after the talking points and everything because it's... It's happened too much this week, and I think we definitely need to talk about it. Uh, players getting racist abuse online. Um, three players in like the last two weeks. Pogba got it yesterday after his missed penalty against Wolves. Uh, Reading striker Jakub Mate got it. And then a couple of weeks before, uh, a handful of players got it as well. It's just gone to the point where it is, something needs to be done by social media. And I think it was Harry Maguire posted something that was that was quite good. He said, just make it. So that when you sign up to these social media accounts, you have to scan your driving license or you have to scan your passport. So everyone knows whose account it is and there's no way you can get away with this stuff. But I just think it's, it's absolutely despicable that in 2019, we're still having to find a way to get racism out of football. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, disgusting. Definitely. And if you see it on Twitter, just report it and block them and do everything you can to just get them off there. But um, no, it, you're right, it's absolutely disgusting and there's no place for it. I do, I do feel like Harry Maguire's thing was a bit 1984 for my liking, though. <laughs> sort of like, you have to give away all of like your details. But yeah, no, it, I can see the point. Like I say, it's, it's not something you want to make light of. Um, but yeah, it's, it's um, not good, especially as well, because like you said about previous weeks, there was a bit with um, Soros Christie played Fulham. Apparently him and his family as well were sort of targeted with it. And there's no real place for that. I've been watching the Leeds documentary recently, the, the thing that's been on Amazon Prime. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone who's like, interested in football. Although the narration by Russell Crowe speaks to you like you've never watched a football game before, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's again, it's, it talks about that side, sort of like the people putting comments on Twitter, not necessarily racist abuse, which is obviously not to be tolerated, but just people in general putting negative stuff. And um, a couple of Leeds players were mentioning they were saying like, "Well, we are, we have got like families and stuff, and we are just people. We just play yeah. football." And it is one of those things where people just need to sort of like. They need to sort of relax a little bit and, and not take it too far because, like I say, it should get you in a lot of trouble. But unfortunately, at the minute, it doesn't seem to be able to be policed very well by various social media outlets, which is a shame. Yeah, it is a real shame. And hopefully something gets done so that we don't see this happen anymore. Right. That brings an end to the Game Time podcast for this week. Tim, thank you very much. Thank you. Ryan, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. See you later. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the rest of your week. And remember, like, rate, subscribe on whatever you podcast listen to. That's just not words. Whatever you listen to our podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify. See you later.